Hello and welcome to another edition of The Experience. I am your host, Jeremy Vaney, and today we will be talking with Suzanne Chancellor, who is a lifetime experiencer of what most people call alien abductions, but she has now come to realize the experience is far more complex than that and surpasses the boundaries of what we generally consider to be real. So it's already going to be interesting. You can feel it. It's in the air and it hasn't even started yet. Uh, her website, if you'd like to find out more about Suzanne, is abductiawareness.blogspot.com. That's all one word. Abductiawareness.blogspot.com. And you can go there and not just find out about her, but you can actually listen to her own podcast called Random Alien Brain Droppings, which is one of the better names for a show I've heard in quite a long time. Suzanne wrote to me shortly after, I think, the first episode and told me that she had a question. She wanted me to start asking guests who are uh, lifelong experiencers, which actually lines up quite well with last week's guest, Karen Cavalli. And the question is simply, has this experience evolved with you? Whatever it is for you, has the experience, the beings themselves, have they changed? Has the experience evolved with you? And it's a really great question, so I asked her to come on and uh, explain and explore herself with me uh, this very question. And it's something that happened to my former broadcast partner, Jeff Ritzman, where he had a lifetime of uh, gray beings and that sort of thing. And seemingly overnight, poof, it became a tall shrouded man who wanted to have sit-down chats. No longer was it scary abductions, it was sit-down chats with a, a humanish type of being. Uh, and around the time that he was telling me about this, Susan Kornacki came on the show as a guest, as some of you might be familiar with her, and she revealed that that is what happened to her. She had encounters of one type, and then they morphed into into these shrouded humans, not abducting her, but having more of a conversational sort of feel to it. And there was a third person who is anonymous, who had a shrouded being come to her. Same thing, lifelong of scary abductions, and now suddenly uh, a mist comes under her, her bedroom door while she's reading a book in bed, and it, it forms into this woman in a shroud, and she basically tells her, you know, this is the book you need to write, um, and outlines it for her and says it's going to be for a specific person in the future who's going to read it and understand it. You know, things like this, which is like, future building on the part of something or someone seems to all have started to happen. Well, all, I mean, I'm talking about three or four cases, but they all seem to coalesce at around the same time, which was what, like 2011, 2012, somewhere in there. What are we to make of this? I'm not sure, but I have some thoughts on it, which I will share in a future episode in episode 10. When I recap what stuck with me from the previous nine episodes, in the meantime, what I would like to hear, and I'm sure all of you would like to hear, is what does Suzanne Chancellor make of all of this? After all, this is something that is happening in her life. Not only that, but the evolution of her experience has made her rethink what these experiences fundamentally are. I think there's a clue there. Let's gather some more clues with Suzanne Chancellor right after this. You've probably considered subscribing to UnknownCountry.com. Well, here's a new incentive. If you do that before December the 1st, 
you will get free an autographed copy of the original edition of the key. This is the collector's edition. There will never be any more printed. If you're a current one year or more subscriber, all you need to do to get your free copy is to write subscribers at unknowncountry.com and let us know where to send it. A subscriber, now is your chance to join up join our great community, and get a free copy of the collector's edition, the original key, personally signed by me, Whitley Strieber. Whitley and Ann Strieber's new book, Miraculous Journey, is well on its way to becoming a classic. One reader after another has found hope and inspiration in the pages of this deeply moving book, which has over 25 star reviews on Amazon.com. From reader Martin Taylor, a book to savor. Like much of the Streber's work, this is a very moving read, and I find myself smiling as much as holding back tears. From Melissa Latimer, this is a beautiful, hopeful story of the power of love in the face of life-changing health problems. From Raven Dana, this book is moving, instructive, and most of all, a beautiful testament to the power of love. And from Catherine Cook, the authors guide us through their dark night of the soul with beautiful prose and truly inspiring insights that leave the reader feeling hope and joy. Reader after reader has taken Miraculous Journey into their heart, and you will too. Available wherever electronic books are sold for just four ninety nine. Now also available from Amazon and Barnes & Noble in hardcover and softcover. Without further ado, please welcome to the experience my guest, Suzanne Chancellor. Suzanne, thank you for coming on the show. Jeremy, thank you so much for having me. Um, we'll get into the, the real question that you wanted me to ask on the show. And then I said, hey, why don't you come on? <laughs> and <laughs> That's it, true. Well, well, we'll get to that question in a second. But first, um, it's in a related question. Uh, you're someone who has had a lifetime of experiences yourself. Um, and now that you do your own internet radio, what have you learned? What have you picked up from people that resonates with your experiences that's new to you? I'm glad you asked that question, Jeremy. I had spent most of my life just basically hiding in the closet uh, with this experience. And I felt that the best way to try and find the answers to all these questions was to ask other people. And the only way you can ask other people is if you come out of that closet, which I did. And to my surprise, I found that there seemed to be a shift in um, a lot of experiencers' lives with the experience itself, most, mostly with the, uh, I would say, the lifetime experiencers, the ones that have had experiences since childhood, like myself. And what I found was very interesting and that was that it seemed that the beginning of the experiences started with contact in a negative uh, aspect um, where they felt they were being abducted. They felt that they were being taken against their will, um, having experiments done to them and, and the whatnot, you know. Um, but I found that a lot, a great majority of the people whom I spoke with seemed to feel that it had changed 
for them in more of a positive, I want to say a positive, but maybe more of an enlightening manner that um, they started receiving epiphanies. Um, they started receiving messages and, and um, things that seemed to support their lives in a positive way. And I found that happen to myself um, when I was in my 20s. Um, I had a very profound experience of visitation that changed my thought about what was really happening. So that is where I'm going now with my work and trying to find out why that might be happening. What was the experience? Well, I, I've spoken about this quite a bit. Um, I was interviewed before by Whitley on Dreamland a couple years ago, and I spoke about an experience that involved my then three-year-old daughter. And that was the first time in my life that somebody had been involved in the experience alongside myself. Uh, I was visited in the middle of the night, um, sleeping in bed. I couldn't sleep. My fiancé was sleeping next to me. I was engaged to be married at the time, uh, the following year. And upon laying there and, and feeling that I just was so restless, I was staring at the ceiling and I saw all these sorts of weird colored shapes, like prismic shapes, like squares and circles, and they were just dancing around on the ceiling. And I thought, well, that's really weird. Where is that coming from? And when I went to look at the window, a gold disc flew across my bed and it it manifested into uh, a woman. And this was the first time that I'd actually seen what seemed to be a human-like being. All the times prior to that, it was always the grays and, and uh, various uh, grays, you know, the talls, the ones in the shirt, the worker types and the doctors and what have you. So I was astounded. I, I just was completely shocked because she sp started speaking to me telepathically. And so I knew that there was some commonality because the other beings had also spoken to me in the same manner. And she said to me something very positive. And what she said to me was, where I come from, marriage is the most sacred part of our existence. And I am giving you the chance to experience, for you to experience this if you wish. And so now taking that situation, it's so far from all the negative um, things that had happened to me. And I thought, wow, I almost felt like I was getting some sense of encouragement or something to ponder or even to, I didn't know if she meant to come with her to where she lived or if she was going to show me a vision. Uh, I didn't know what was happening, but it seems that ever since she appeared to me, the experience has changed. And I don't know why that's happening. I don't know if there's an evolution in uh, the, the communication as we evolve, are we evolving alongside them? Are they evolving as well with their communication with us? And if that's the case, are they trying, you know, then I get the feeling they're trying to help us. Whereas before it was quite the opposite. Huh. Well, you know, this is another in a short list of people I know who have had this happen where it changes um, from the greys or, you know, whatever, that, that sort of quote-unquote alien experience to these human-like people who want to have sit-down chats with you about sort of personal things uh, and that sort of thing. And, you know, if I step back and I look at this, well, before I say this piece of it, what to what do you attribute 
um, that change? Is it simply if you decide to stop struggling and go with it um, that these experiences become positive? I think that's a really um, good evaluation of what I just said because when I, as you're saying that, looking back on that, I had just uh, started talking about it and my ex-husband, my then fiance, was the first person whom, with whom I'd shared my experiences with. And so I was coming to terms with it and he seemed to embrace it. And although he didn't quite understand it, he did support me with it. We used to have an inside joke. Um, when we'd have a restless night, he would joke with me and say, did the visitors come last night? <laughs> because he, he slept, you know, horribly. And sometimes I felt that we had had a visitation and I would just nod my head and he would just leave it at that. But I think there is something about, you know, when you just start to embrace the experience, I think it does allow it to change or I, I don't know. You know, I think fear has a lot to do with it. When you embrace the fear, it seems that, you know, there seem to be a lot more negative experiences that happen with, with contact. But well, once you start, go ahead. I was just going to say, look how, okay. So here's the bit that I find interesting in this. If we pull back and just embrace, embrace this for a second, because I don't even know what it means yet, but it's there. Um, if you, if you see through the fear and, and embrace what's going on or essentially give up control, give up the sense of self, allow, then we're saying that this thing changes. Well, that's the same thing if you take uh, a hallucinogen. If you fight it, you're in trouble. If you go with it, you're not in trouble. It's the same thing for a shamanic journey. It's the same thing for the hero's journey. It's, just, you know, all of these sort of uh, spiritual type things. If you just, you know, embrace your destiny, embrace the thing that's happening, you come out the other side of the cave uh, a whole person. If you don't, you get eaten alive. Uh, you know, what do we make of this? I mean, these are, that can't be a coincidence, right? These have to be real connections. Well, there, there's, a, maybe there's a lesson in all of that. I, I, that's funny, you mentioned um, taking hallucinogenic drugs. They've scared me to death my whole life. And I've never, ever partaken for that very reason of losing control. And that was my biggest fear. You know, same with, you know, alcohol and all that. I mean, I've never gotten to the point to where I have absolutely lost control of myself. And I think it has a lot to do with uh, my experiences about the fear. And he, I, I've been reading a lot about you know, Graham Hancock's work with uh, ayahuasca and how there have been obviously reports of people having these shamanic experiences and and they have been so uplifting and so positive and so wonderful. I can't fathom that. To me, that freaks me out. But maybe that is something that I still struggle with, you know, letting go of that part of the fear. Um, but I don't know. I how mean, how different is it? I mean, really, like Graham Hancock takes ayahuasca and then this, you know, what he perceives to be a snake goddess wraps herself around him and says, so, Graham, how you doing? You know, how's, your, how's your anger issues or, or whatever right. it is? You know, Jeff Ritzman has this tall shrouded being walk into his room and say, come with me. I want to sit with you right. in the living room and 
how are you doing, Jeff? You know, you have this thing and it's the same thing. It's like, here, I want you to, you know, marriage is great. I'd love for you to experience that. Right. Right. You know, what is, Whitley Strieber has little gray aliens that come into his house and are like, Whitley, you really need to cut back on the sugar. It's really, right. like, what is this? You know, this is not well, the last thing that this is, is alien. And that's right. the first term that we use with it. So already there's this deficit between what is going on and how we uh, how we treat it. I don't know if that's even how we perceive it, but, you know, the label that we put onto it. Do you think mm -hmm. that that very fact, uh, which is embedded in our culture at this point, is the produces the fear? Maybe. And, and the fact that we use the term alien, maybe it's just alien because it's something that we cannot wrap our heads around. And, and it's just like saying a UFO is just that. It's an unidentified flying object. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's from, you know, off of, off Earth or the cosmos. So uh, I don't know. I, I think there's something that we need to think in regards to the experience when we're getting these positive messages um, you know, she was almost counseling me because it was almost as if she was looking at the the populace, the entire populace of the human race, how we take marriage for granted. And that was the uh, impression that I got from her. But who knows? What if it's, you know, the more I get into this work, the more I start doing the research and talking to people about it and reading. What if it's our higher selves? What if we're or, or our spirit guides or what have you counseling us? coming to us in a way that we could only understand having a conversation, you know, because obviously if we're getting these thoughts in our mind without uh, where, where are they coming from, but if we can attribute it to a being or having a conversation, it might be a little bit easier to reason with. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you're familiar with Ken Wilber in his work, but I've, I've sort of bastardized at least one piece of it, which is he talks about sort of embracing spirituality from the first person, second person, third person point of view. So the first person is I am, you know, the I amness, I am that, the oneness. Uh, second person would be in relationship to another, uh, a Jesus-y type, you know. Uh, and third person would be, you know, worshiping this thing outside of you that you fear. Um, it's kind of divorced from you and it's, it's an it kind of thing. Um, it sounds to me like what you are saying is that at all times, our true self is the first person I am point of view, but for whatever reason, we're blocked off from that. And so we have to come to ourselves and talk to ourselves as if we're in relationship with some other thing, some other person or being, uh, but that's actually us. Right. And I think that that is, um, I think that's a viable option for sure. Well, how can we rule it out? <laughs> We really can't. Yeah. I mean, what well, do we and, really and, know? You know, on a technicality here, if we really are all one energy, then at all times we're ourselves coming and talking to ourselves. Right. <laughs> you know. Exactly. Uh, and then again, in the dream state, you know, possibly uh, maybe we go somewhere else and have communion with ourselves in the dream state. So, what do you think then would be the need for all of the different visages? Why would it need to evolve from grays to you know, shrouded people or, or any of that? Why not just one size fits all? Well, we're as diverse as we all are. I mean, look at, look at all of us, look at all the different religions we even have that everybody prays to a different God or a different deity. Maybe it has something to do with um, appealing to the masses. And, and, you know, people always say, you know, they have these beings come to them, but a lot of times they're different, but they give the same type of message. So, 
do we have um, these these beings appearing to us in some way that we can accept? Maybe it would be easier for me to accept this coming from a, a woman who looks more humanoid than from maybe a mantis being. When I'm sitting there trying to d- figure out what the hell he is anyway in the first place. Well, right, but like, you know, who would be okay with a mantis being? I guess that's where I'm coming from. Like, at what right? point would your higher self say, hmm, I should go to right. Suzanne as a mantis being. She'll embrace that. <laughs> well, just like when they take the ayahuasca and they have the serpent, you know, and it's totally fine. It's very, very, you know, Lewis Carroll, Alice in Wonderland talking to, you know, the smoking caterpillar. I mean, I don't know. What has it meant for you, this change? Um, so I'm assuming before this it was Grays and, and that sort of thing, and then it became this woman coming to you? Well, she had only appeared to me that one time, but what's really strange about that experience is it was also the first time that I had had multiple beings in one experience um, where I, as soon as she came in, um, I, I actually said to her and our communication was telepathic. I said to her right away without even commenting on her statement to me, I said, I am so glad that you don't really look like what you really look like. I remember thinking that. And she says, well, if you want to know what I really look like, then look at the window. And when I tried to move my head, I couldn't, but in my periphery, I could see a mantis being hanging from my windowsill, just sitting there. And I mean, that was shock because I almost felt like she was appearing to me as a woman, but it really was a mantis. Okay. But she knew that I needed to understand what was really happening, I think, at that point so I could start trying to make sense of it. And then I had these three blue beings come in my room. She disappeared through the wall at that point. And these blue beings were telling me that uh, my daughter was throwing up and they couldn't get her to stop throwing up. And I had never seen these guys before. They were about three feet tall. They were kind of stocky. They had... They looked like the Michelin man, but they were tiny. And, but they were like a cobalt blue, almost glowing with black, coal black eyes, round. And uh, as soon as they said that about my daughter, I ran into her bedroom and she was crying. And at that point, my fiance woke up. Prior to that, he was just passed out. But um, she looked at me, she said, I'm going to throw up. And she just vomited all over the bed. What did these beings do when you got up and ran out? Did they just dissolve into thin air? What happened? I have them? no, I didn't care where they were. I was all, all I cared about was her at that point. Uh, it's all of a sudden, everything that happened just went by the wayside. It didn't matter. All I was concerned about was my daughter's well-being. And so do you yeah. think that they were in the room with you? Or do you think that you were in an altered state or some sort of subspace? state? Well, I guess if they're a projection of you, um, w- w- would it be fair to say that you were in an altered state? I mean, I could have been maybe viewing her. I mean, I have um, had OBEs before, so who knows if I had astral projected and saw her being ill. I don't know. Maybe it was a warning that I needed to go to her because I didn't hear her crying at all at that point. Uh, But I definitely had a visual of them at the end of my bed, and I did see uh, the end of my bed in my closet door, my bathroom door, so I, I felt that it was in real time. But, you know, then we look back and we say, could it have been a dream? You know, there's that as well that I've been doing my whole life. 
But what I got from this experience was um, validation and confirmation because the next morning she started drawing um, one of these beings on a piece of paper while she was eating her breakfast. And I asked her what it was and she said that it was um, the animal from her dream last night. And I said, well, it doesn't look like an animal. And she said, well, they're not really animals, but they're not really people either. And then I got concerned because I felt like it had gone to the next level. And now it was involving my family. Um, she went on to say that um, I, I prompted her without trying to frighten her at all. I just said, oh, well, what did it look like? And she says, well, um, they were blue and there were three of them. So how could she know that? Did we have a shared dream experience? You know, this is where there's that that veil, that fine line. <clears throat> Excuse me, were you have a hard time trying to figure out what's reality and do we have shared dreams? Right. Because she was ex describing the same, why were there three, why were they blue, and what were they doing there? And well, why did actually, I... You've had a recent shared dream with your husband, yeah? Um, with my boyfriend. Or your boyfriend, I'm sorry. Yes. Um, we, that's why, one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about this because I'm thinking now a little bit now beyond, you know, going down, you know, the rabbit hole a little bit further with this. And, and if all of us experiencers have been thinking about the experience in a way where we can pass them off as just being dreams, then how could we have a shared dream that involved these beings? My, uh, my boyfriend and I, um, he's also a lifetime experiencer. And we started um, talking to each other across country two and a half years ago, and here I am living in Rhode Island with him. But uh, what's happened is we felt that there was a sense of urgency for us to be working on something together, which I found very common in a lot of experiencers who end up uh, becoming a couple. And there have been quite a few of my friends that this has happened to in, in within the last year even. Um, that's something else I'm researching. But... With with Jack and I, um, I had gone to bed. He works late, and he gets home at about 4 o'clock in the morning, and I had gone back to sleep at about 5.30, and I began to have a dream that involved uh, something very odd, and it took place in a hotel. I was getting really, really drunk with an ex-boyfriend. It was just such one of those random, very vivid dreams that you might have, and I'm going to keep it PG. But we ended up in the hotel room, and we were in bed, and the door opened, and in walked these two um, Asian-looking, uh, and I would say they were women, but they had the same exact haircut. Um, they Either they were nude or they were wearing a bodysuit. I couldn't tell. One of them had a tray um, that had sushi on it, and the other one had a tray with a carafe of wine. And they were offering these things to me to ask me if I was hungry, if I wanted to drink. And I said no. And they kind of bowed out and they left the room. Well, the whole dream just escalated into all this montage of just the most bizarre events that was just very busy. There were people all over. It was like we were filming a movie, and which was very odd as well. But at about 8 o'clock in the morning, my uh, boyfriend woke me up during my sleep 
And he woke me up in a very sexual way. And I was still in the dream. And I just, what the hell is going on? And I looked at him and I said, I just had the weirdest dream. And I told him the dream and he looked at me, he said, oh my God. He said, I have no idea what just happened, but I was dreaming that I was at a hotel and I was outside by the pool and I was talking to a, a very famous comedian by the pool. Okay, I'm random again. And there were these two Asian women with these, these you know, bob haircuts, same exact thing that I saw. And they were standing by the pool and he looked at them and he hithered them over with his hand and they came over and ended up in the shower together and it turned into a very sexual situation. So I don't know what is going on. I have never, I mean, this is something else. There's a lot about this experience. It seems that is very sexual and a lot of people don't talk about it. And this is actually one of the first times I've actually talked about this, especially on air. But, um, who are these beings that are dressing up? I've heard this before and other people have seen them, the Asian girls. And why are we having the same, you know, scenario at the same time? What does it mean? Yeah. Or maybe it means nothing. Well, I don't know. I mean, what does it mean in the overarching context of your experiences? Have you thought about that? No, I, I, we just, we sit here and we, we obviously are documenting all this because I have had a few experiences here as well where I have, um, he's woken up and I've been gone. So I don't know if, but we've noticed that since we've been together, we feel like we're being observed. Mm -hmm. Well, what do you think the dream is? Do you think that the dream is a dream that is of your own, you know, sort of mind constructs that these beings are inserting themselves in somehow? Or do you think that you're being brought somewhere and so, you know, an out-of-body state? What what do you make of the actual right. dream of it? Well, I, I make... The What's weird about it is we both had, he said that while he was in the shower, there were just people like meandering around. We both felt that there was a crowd watching us. Like we were being observed in a, in a sexual situation. We both felt that. And they almost felt like it was so commonplace. Like they weren't even really watching. We were just in the periphery. But I feel like what happened in mine was there was like almost a glass window at the end of the room. And I could see these two um, Asian women go behind the window and it's almost like they had a clipboard and they were taking notes. So I don't know if it's, uh, there's a, an observation happening. What happened? I, I don't know. Hypothetically, let's just put it this way. What if we are now all coming together? I feel that this is happening a lot. Like I had just said, a lot of, um, experiences coming together and doing some sort of work. Now, are we being observed? What are we going to do now with, you know, our conjoined um, knowledge of the subject, you know, where are we going to go with this? What level are we going to take it? Um, or maybe they're just trying to, like, for example, he and I recognized each other from a photograph of me when I was in my teens. So we, I, I always felt I had a brother. It's a very long story, but we feel um, that we have known each other before. So maybe are we all reconnecting now? You know, is there some mass um, awakening of the consciousness happening? Because we are all now talking about this. Are we, are we changing the vibration and the energy of the earth by doing this work? I don't know. What is the work that you think you're doing? 
I think the work is, I, I feel very strongly that I'm a conduit and that we are all connected and trying to make sense of the experience and helping other people come to terms with the experience is something that I feel very strongly about. Um, bringing it to light in a positive manner, not focusing on the negative, helping people deal with the PTSD of the trauma from such experiences. I feel that's very important. So I am working with Starborn Support here on the East Coast, you know, doing counseling over the phone and Skype, um, speaking publicly about it, um, owning my truth, taking back control of my life. You know, I, th I think all these things are very important. Uh, so how does that fit in with it possibly being your own higher self or does it? Well, because maybe, in a way, like, this is well, what I like to think about this stuff is like, okay. you, you come up with a theory of what this is. You go, okay, this is my higher self. Uh, and then once you think you've got it, the, something challenges that now you've got this shared dream you've, you know, or you've got your daughter in the next room who's, who's drawing these things and you got to go, Oh, wait a minute. Maybe it's not right. exactly that. Even if there's the element of it. Right. Well, I'm really, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Dolores Cannon's work at all, but a lot of that um, rings very true with how I feel in my soul, that I think that we um, choose this path before this existence. And I feel very strongly that there is a possibility that we do connect um, in the in-between before we come back to uh the earth to the next incarnation. So I would say, yes, I do believe in reincarnation in that sense. Um, maybe we do predestine ourselves to have this journey and make agreements um, before we come here that we will meet again. And, and maybe that's what's happened with Jack and myself. We feel that is the case. Hmm. Very interesting. And so uh, I guess just one last question, because we're about out of time here. Um, what does it mean to you that if these are individuated beings from another place, they've got their own lives, there is something there is to be like them, um, what would it mean to you that they would come here and care about you at all in such pedestrian ways? You know, marriage, your uh, whatever, sexual proclivities, whatever it is, your daughter, you know, care about your daughter. What does it mean that that would happen? Well... I think it's based on a case by case, but for my, um, my particular situation, my family, I think it's a, a familial thing, um, generational. My, uh, grandmother, my mother, my daughter, myself, um, have all had experiences. So it could be that they're just, you know, checking in per se, um, being as I have had this happen to me ever since I was, you know, f four years old. Same with my daughter since she was three. So maybe it is, you know, just uh, selective to the experiencer. That's how I feel about it for myself. Collectively, I don't know. Maybe they are trying to save us from ourselves. Maybe they are trying to guide us. Maybe we're guiding ourselves. But interesting that none of it's Star Trek, you know? As far as we know. <laughs> well, but I mean, it ain't about NAFTA and GATT and right, space right. treaties. and Well, yeah, as far as we know. We'll be right back. A mystery older than time, an epic larger than imagination, a love that binds it all. My novel Into the End is a sweeping journey into who and what we all are, how we got here, and where we're going. Truth may set us free, but it is not for the faint of heart. In fact, it's terrifying. Into the End is now available in paperback on the Kindle and on the Nook. Yeah. 
You've probably considered subscribing to unknowncountry.com. Well, here's a new incentive. If you do that before December the 1st, you will get free an autographed copy of the original edition of the key. This is the collector's edition. There will never be any more printed. If you're a current one year or more subscriber, all you need to do to get your free copy is to write subscribers at unknowncountry.com and let us know where to send it. A subscriber, now is your chance to join up Join our great community and get a free copy of the collector's edition, the original key, personally signed by me, Whitley Streber. Welcome back. So, okay, the question that you want me to ask people, which I will do from here on out who are experiencers, is how has the experience changed in their lives if it has it all right that that's right, right. basically it yeah basically do you feel if you are an experiencer um in your life especially a long time experiencer do you feel that the experience has evolved alongside you as you've evolved and if so how has it changed okay. and if it has changed i'm interested to see if it's changed in a positive way I will bring that with me. Um, all right. Well, thank you very much for uh, coming on the show, and don't be a stranger. <laughs> thank you, Jeremy, so <laughs> much. Have a great day. You too. Take care. That's all the time we have for this week. My thanks again to Suzanne Chancellor, experiencer, podcaster. We are a breed. <laughs> We're a breed, aren't we? Like amongst ourselves? I don't know. Her podcast, Random Alien Brain Droppings, her website abductiawareness.blogspot.com go there listen to her and don't forget if you'd like to be a guest on this show all you need to do is drop me a line at jeremy at unknowncountry.com and we'll go exploring your experiences together take care talk to you next week